Turn to First John chapter four. You know, if we were uh, to take a few minutes, if we, if it was possible to get behind the defense shield of every single person that is in this auditorium, we'd find that we have a great common driving need, and that is the need to truly be loved, to be accepted. To know that someone truly cares for us at a heart level. We, we yearn for this. Every single person, it doesn't matter what your age, your nationality, your background, where you live. Every single person yearns to be loved and to be able to give love. I'll tell you, uh, it's, it's especially true for kids. You see those kids that just kind of walked out there? Or ran, okay, as per usual. Let me tell you what they really desire most is that their little hearts are connected with, that they receive love, are able to share love, and to experience the intimacy of being known well. And it doesn't matter whether they're just really young or they continue to go up in junior high or high school. I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, we had a huge Christmas party, packed out this gym with all these high school kids. Everybody's having a blast. Toward the end of it, one of my student leaders came and found me and said, Grant, John, is, he's, ac- he's actually in one of the halls. He's, he's crying. And uh, John had come to Christ about a year prior. He came from a terrible background, okay? And I had actually been to the little apartment that he lived in, and, I mean, it's just reeked of alcohol and cigarettes. The kid didn't even have a bed. His parents uh, couldn't see fit to buy him one. He slept on the floor. And I'm, I found John. I said, hey, what's the matter? Hey, what's going on? He goes, my parents don't love me. I said, John, how do you know that? And he said, they don't care where I'm at or what I do. It just doesn't matter to them. And it was hard to refute that. And what he was longing for is a, a connection at a deep level. His parents really loved him. I'll tell you, if you're a young adult, you're a single, or someone who's single again, what you really desire is that you could be loved, accepted, truly cared for. And we have lots of singles in our church. Go talk to them. They want to be engaged. And this is actually a really hard season, this Christmas season. And inside their heart, I know they got the smile going on up front. They just want to know, do you love me and accept me? Are you for me? Especially true also in marriage relationships. You know, every marriage relationship needs a genuine sense of love and respect and if it's not there, what happens is it leads to all sorts of problems like discouragement, depression. And if you don't have the give and take of love at a heart level, it can lead to disaster. Now, there are a lot of wives that are like, you know, hey, I, when is my husband going to step up and be the loving leader of my home? I really like that. I would love that. When does it happen? That's really what women are looking for. They want their their husbands to genuinely love them unconditionally. And when that happens, that woman begins to blossom like a flower in the sun. That is actually how God has designed her when she has the context of full love and acceptance. And I'll tell you, if you're like, you know, I get this, this idea about my husband and stuff like that. Well, when, how does that happen? You know, I'd really like him to be that way. Let me tell you, when you married your husband, he said, I do. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I got that. That doesn't mean that he's done, okay? That means that you picked up wherever his mama left off, okay? And you have to invest in him. And you're going to find out that there was probably some missing parts and some missing pieces. 
maybe not even know how to love, it's kind of like, I know you're into microwave meals, and you just pop it in the little microwave, about three minutes is done. It doesn't work that way with husbands. It takes a long time of investment, of love. And let me tell you the secret to your man's heart. It's one word. It's respect. When he knows that his wife respects him, he start taking, starts taking those kind of steps. You know, um, older people, you know what they're really looking for? Kind of moving into some of the most significant years of their life, where they probably have lived more years than they probably got ahead of them. They are looking for deep love. I had a lady in our church tell me that she's pretty sure that her kids would not, not ever realize that she's dead until someone from our church calls them. She feels completely isolated and abandoned. They'll just kind of basically do the bare minimum and just kind of keep her at a distance. But what she really yearns for and desires is love. And let me tell you what happens when, when you don't have the giving and receiving of love. Let me tell you what counterfeit comes up. It is lust. And you start acting upon it. It is superficial. It is counterfeit. And what happens is you illegitimately try to pursue some sort of intimacy, but it can never actually deliver. It is always sinful. It is always wrong. But it tells you there's something broken inside you where you're not able to give love and to receive love. And so you try to go for some sort of illegitimate find on intimacy, and it leads to even a greater breach and brokenness. And so... Let me just tell you, if you do not develop healthy patterns of giving and receiving love, you're going to be like a plant in a dry, arid place that doesn't get enough water, and it just seems to be wilting away. And the question that we have got to ask ourselves is, how in the world can we really learn to love the people in our lives? It is a question that I have to ask myself frequently. How can I love this person? You know how those, some people have extra grace required people? I mean, we all got them, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? You don't have to point or anything like that. Okay, how do we love the people in our lives, even the people that we're really closest to? How do you go about it? Let me tell you, if we don't learn how to do this, your growth will be stunted. You will end up like a pygmy of what God seeks to accomplish in your life. Maturity will not be realized if you don't learn how to love. And so the big question is, how in the world do you do it? And that is why the passage we're at today is golden. It's 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. It is one of the great gifts of Christmas. This ought to be home base for you this season. If it will, I guarantee it'll lead to transformation. So how do you go about truly loving the people in our lives? Well, perhaps the single greatest reason why we don't do this, the greatest trouble that we have is that we are looking for love in all the wrong places. That is such a popular phrase that someone made a lot of money on a country song like that. Does anybody want to come sing it for us? No? Okay, I'm just looking for a volunteer. No? Okay. All right. We always seek to try to find the ability to love within ourselves. And hence, we look to ourselves to do this. And so we subconsciously ask this, how do I feel about this person? How do I feel about myself? How do, how do my circumstances kind of shape up in this situation? And what we do, we are so, so self-occupied and self-oriented that we go to ourselves to try to figure out, do I have the capacity to love this person or do I even want to? And that explains why we have so many shallow, superficial relationships. 
our self-centeredness, because we look to ourselves like, do I feel like loving this person, pretty much explains why so many marriages basically are a Cold War zone. Because you're always just looking to you. And if you've got a lot of shallow, cynical relationships in your life, it is because, yeah, you certainly can be a Christian, but in reality, you still have a very self-centered orientation, and it leads to shallow, superficial relationships. So how is it that we really learn to love? Well, let me just tell you, this passage tells us. The first thing you need to know is this. We can really learn to love another person by this, living in Christ. Look what John wrote. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might, you see that? I've underlined that. We might live through him. You see, our relationship with Christ actually transforms and revolutionizes how we actually relate to other people. And so once you place your faith in Christ, Lord and Savior, you have to keep going back to the wellspring of life, and he changes your orientation from self to God. And you start developing his priorities, and he says we actually can learn to love. He says, Beloved, verse 7, let us love one another from, love is from who? Did you see it? It's from God. It's not from your heart. Yourself, love is from God. That should be like shocking, like, whoa, love is from God. Hallmark needs to be informed of this. All the TV shows that are running, the stuff you got going on Netflix, they don't know this. They think love is a feeling and it's from the heart. And it evaporates like water on a hot summer day. It just, it's just gone. But love is from God. And look what it says about God. It says, Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So he says God is love. So when he says that, it's a characteristic of God. God is, it's a part of his unchanging nature. So like when we say that the sun is hot, diamonds are hard, those are characteristics of those items. When we say that God is love, it is who he is in his essence. He's God. The sun is hot. The diamond is hard. God is love. And he loves unconditionally, and he loves irrespective whether or not he's being loved or not. Whether you adore him and you worship him, or you take his name in vain, you align yourself with his enemies, God is unchanging, and he is love. And what you need to see here is you need to be born of God, okay? So he says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is, you see that verse 7, is born of God. If you find yourself, I don't really love people. I don't necessarily even love my spouse. I don't necessarily love my kids. I don't love my neighbors. That suggests that you do not have a spiritual rebirth. You have to be born again. You need new life. If you're going to love, which according to the scriptures, the love that he's speaking of, a deep, profound, supernatural uh, love of act of the will, 
that's going to require a new birth in your life. It is, comes from God. You, just like a plant has to have a birth, every animal has to have a birth, every human has to have a birth, so it is for you spiritually. You must come to a place where you have trusted and embraced Christ. And the guarantee of Scripture is that if you believe in Christ, you literally experience a new life because you're now united with Christ and you will spend eternity realizing the capacity that you have to love others because you're united with Christ. And so true spiritual life is given to you when what? When you were born of God. If you're born of God, you know God, and you spend the rest of your life getting to know him better. And he says this, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see, because you're united with God, he is seeking to work out in your life the ability to love others. That is like a divine mission, the initiative that has taken place in your life. And he says this, verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us. When he says it talks about manifesting, it has the it's revealing. It's actually publicly revealed that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, i.e. Christmas, the incarnation. God sends his son, Jesus, into the world, verse 9, so that what? We might live through him. That is the essence of the gospel and the Christian message that God has sent his son into the world, that we who believe in Christ, Christ's life is being lived out in us and we live differently and profoundly. We learn to love the people in our life. When he says uh, the unique begotten son, you see that, the, his only begotten son? That is a, that's a very interesting word in the Greek. It's monogenes. It means unique and only. There is only one like Jesus And because he is God, God the Son existed throughout all eternity, he has the ability to actually bring about a transformation in your heart where you can truly learn to love the people in your life. And so we live through him. Are you having trouble loving people? Are you going to the source who is Christ? And you you have to do this. I mean, I can stand and tell you about it, but you have to spend time with Jesus Time sitting down in a chair, time on your knees, time alone, no radio, no TV, no internet in front of you, time with Jesus, finding him to be your strength, peace, courage, source of forgiveness, encouragement, love, acceptance, that you spend time pouring out your heart before him and you find him renewing you. And let me tell you, he lives out his life through you and you begin to love. Let me just tell you some characteristics of people who are living out, having Christ, having being lived out through them. They are turning to him on a regular basis. They're talking to him, turning to his word. They're talking to him. They're pouring out their heart. They're speaking to him in prayer. They're trusting him to empower you. When they look at the troubling circumstances in our world or in your home or in your personal life, you remember that God is sovereign and he's in control and he's good. And let me give you just another characteristic. People who are experiencing this life that I'm talking about, they're thankful. They're thanking him as they go through their day. I mean, you can gripe, whine, complain, or try to figure it all out, or you can spend time thanking him. And as you do, 
It's like the life of Christ just starts emanating from you. You see, Christ is to the Christian what the human heart is to a human body. It is absolutely essential. And just like you try to promote healthy, a healthy human heart, so it is with our relationship with Christ. You exercise, you try to eat healthy, and, and please do. I mean, those are all good things. And so it is. You, you spend time with God. You read his word. You pray. You confess your sin. You gather with other like-minded believers. Why? Because that promotes health and maturity. And you also stay away from the things that actually de- bring deterioration to your health, i.e., tons of cholesterol. I mean, brisket's good, but you can't be doing it two times a day. And I know you live in Texas, but it's bad for you if you do that all the time. It's got to be more than brisket and bluebell. Because if that is your diet, it has a corroding effect on your heart. So you know what? We do things in moderation. Let me tell you, when it comes to sin and the temptations that are before you, you stay away. It's not like, well, every once in a while I'll do this. It's not like sugar. Sin always has a deadening effect on your heart. If you're serious about Christ, about life, and about love, you'll stay away from the things that bring about deterioration. And so, it's kind of like this. If you're having trouble loving people in your life, how are you doing with your fellowship with God? I can tell you this. People who have the ongoing fellowship, they keep abiding in Christ. They keep being reviewed of the revelation of the reality of the gospel in their life, of what it means to know Christ. They have a supernatural capacity, and it comes from God himself. If you're struggling... How is your fellowship with God? So you know what? We can love one another by doing this, living in Christ. And if that's absent, it's not going to work. Guaranteed. Let me give you the second. It's found here in verse 10. It says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love one another by doing this, living in Christ and looking to the cross. This is an amazing verse. Look at verse 10, where he tells us that Christ has truly paid the penalty. He has satisfied God's just wrath against sin by actually bearing our sins in his body on the cross. That's what Peter writes about. He is the propitiation. That word literally means the satisfaction. You see, God is upholding justice in the universe. He establishes right and wrong, ethics and morals, good and bad. That he is the supreme one. That he actually creates people to know him, to love him, to experience the joy of knowing God. And anything apart from that, any breach of his holiness, requires a payment because that is sin. Sin means to miss the mark. And the wages of sin is death. And so you and I are fully, totally incapable of paying for our own sin. All we bring to the table is an ongoing pattern of sin and rebellion and self-centeredness. God says, I'll send my son. God, the son who's existed from all eternity, will take on human form. And I will actually allow him to live and he will live the perfect righteous life. He will fulfill everything that is spoken of him and he will die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So that you and I will never face our sins because we're united with our Savior. That's propitiation. And what we do is we keep thinking about it. Verse 10, in this is love. You want to know love. You always keep looking to the cross. And friends, that is the secret. Every day, try try this. I, I try to do this each day. 
to think of the cross. I think of Jesus' perfect life. I might recall a parable, a story, something he did, a miracle. I think of his death on the cross and the resurrection. That unlocks the door of experiencing well-being, wholeness, forgiveness, hope. And so we think of Jesus, who has overcome all of our sin. He is the propitiation for our sins. Do you want to truly love the people in your life? Then keep looking to the cross. Keep looking to Jesus. And then third, let me just tell you, if you want to love the people in your life, then you need to leave a legacy of love. Watch this. Watch how this unfolds. Verse 11. He said, Beloved, dearly loved ones, can't you just see the Apostle John saying, Hey, listen, we're having a heart-to-heart here. I want to connect with your heart. Right now, God has got your attention. He says, Beloved, dearly loved one, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God loves us in this way, where his son actually comes and is crucified on our behalf, then we ought to, as a genuine response to such amazing love, we ought to love one another. This is how it should be. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. In us. By this we know that we abide in him, he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. You see, no one has seen God any time. God is not making appearances, but he is appearing through his people. Do you know how people see the love of God today? Primarily, it is to be through his people. What? Me? Oh, it better be someone else. No, it's going to be you. Your, you, the ones that belong to him. You see, your heart and your capacity and your ability and your willingness to love is of divine importance because this is how God intended to show the world that he is the God of love because he's going to transform self-centered, wicked sinners into people that love him and love one another. That you go beyond your feelings, that you look to the source of strength of life, and that is Christ himself. If every Christian understood this and lived this, our culture and our world would be transformed. This is God's divine design. He says, this is how it happens. Verse 13, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. His spirit, his Holy Spirit, is seeking to have this accomplished in our life. And this is what God wants. He desires this from our life. So how in the world are we going to love like God? Because that is what he's saying here. I intend to live out my love through you. Does that make you nervous? It should. How do you do it? Well, he actually already told us. You know, think about how how does God love? God loves by taking the initiative. Remember that in verse 10? And this is love, not that we love God. Did we love God? No, no. We were God's enemies, right? We were out on our own program. Not that we love God, but that what? He took the initiative, but that he loved us. You see, divine love, the love from God, agapao love, is a love that takes the initiative. You don't wait for your feelings. You operate 
on the facts and the reality that you're united with Christ. How did God love? He took the initiative. Did people, were people like, God, we love you. Please respond to us. No. We were his enemies, and, then, and God loves us despite our despicable situation, and he demonstrates his love by taking the initiative. Do you want to love the people in your life? You've got to take the initiative. Stop waiting for, well, if they're nice to me and they ask for forgiveness from all these things that you think they've offended you, real or imagined, it's not going to happen. God says, take the initiative. And second of all, not only did God take the initiative, but God gave himself sacrificially. He sent his son. Can you, can you imagine this? He sent his son. Can you imagine sending your kid to a cross? Why? To love the people that are your enemies? What is this? This is the love of God. This is Christ. And friends, that's how we're to love. We take the initiative, and you've got to learn how to love sacrificially. I know I fail at this far more than I succeed. I desperately need the power of the Spirit of God at work in me. But what does that look like? You sacrifice, you give a little bit of your time, energy, forgiveness, your finances, support. That you make the investment that the people in your life need, even if they aren't necessarily even on friendly terms with you. Even if they are mean, they're hard-hearted. Guess what? That's how we once were with God. And God breaks through by taking the initiative and loving sacrificially. And let me tell you, the ability that you have to love from the heart, like we're speaking of, is of critical importance. Jonathan Edwards, perhaps our country's greatest theologian, hundreds of years ago wrote this about this very same subject. He wrote, A Christian should at all times keep a strong guard against everything that tends to overthrow or corrupt or undermine a spirit of love. If love is the sum of Christianity... Surely those things which overthrow love are exceedingly unbecoming Christians. An envious Christian, a malicious Christian, a cold and hard-hearted Christian is the greatest absurdity and contradiction. It is if one should speak of a dark brightness or a false truth. You see, we are to show the love of Christ. And we fail at this all the time, and so we confess our sin. And it's, we're not conditionally accepted by God. We're unconditionally accepted, which actually frees us to want to pursue this kind of love. And so this is what the people in our lives are looking for, and this is what God gives. This is what your kids are looking for, your spouse, singles, people, older saints that have been walking this earth for some time. The people in our church... I know that folks that are sitting over here hardly know the folks that are sitting way over here. But we all need love. Just imagine a church that took God seriously, that actually sought him out, confessed sins, removed past self-centeredness to a Christ-centeredness to our relationships and how we relate to every single person in the community and our families. How transforming would that be? What a divine vision that is. And that is the message of 1 John. By the way, that is at the heart of our mission and our vision at Fellowship, to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. That's our mission statement. Our vision statement is growing deep and reaching out. As we grow deep in Christ, we'll be reaching out 
to the people in our lives, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our world. And so, friends, I'm just going to put this out to you. Let's take this next step together. Living in Christ, looking to the cross, leaving a legacy of love. Now, you know, as we kind of move into this Christmas season, I know a lot of you are like, oh, I've got to buy all these Christmas gifts, right? I've got, huh, you know, and you're, and you're thinking about that, and you're getting gl- gift lists, and you're like, what do I got to get this person? Another sweater, uh, another tie rack, some kitchen utensils. On one of our Christmas lists that my wife and I got, this, this was a first, uh, one of our relatives asked for a salt block uh, for their cattle, okay? I'm like, okay, I explained that to my wife. I'm like, I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, for all you mean to me, here's a salt block? You know what you just put a bow on top there with a piece of tape or something? And if you don't know, just talk to some of our ranchers afterwards. They'll kind of fill you in on what these salt blocks are used for here. We, pro- we, we ended up going to the tie rack, okay, for that individual, all right? But what do you give the person that supposedly has, they have everything? You know that? Like, you're thinking, like, what do I get my parents, you know? They've got everything, and if they don't have it, they just go and buy it. Well, this morning, I'd like to strongly consider, have you strongly consider perhaps most, one of the most significant gifts you could ever give. And that is the significance of a letter. Now, over the years, I have learned the power of putting your thoughts and your heart onto paper and giving to someone. Now, by the way, you know who's really into letters? This is going to shock you, but you know who's really into letters? God is. When God wants to communicate love, he wants to communicate to every generation, every tribe, tongue, people. You know how he does it? He chose to do it through letters. In fact, we have 66 books. We can actually put it together. It's called the Bible. Why does he do that? Because he wants people to know. And it can be read over and over. You can always digest it. And that's exactly how a letter works. When you write a letter, you can say just the way you want to say it. And it can be read over and over. In a conversation, you say something, they forget 90% of it. And, and the things that you wanted to communicate, maybe they remember a little bit of it. But I tell you, if you've got it in a letter, it can be read over and over and over again. And so I don't want you to ever underestimate the power of a letter to show the people in your life how much you love them. Now, I just want to tell you, I've got more shortcomings and failures than I have successes, okay? I am very much a work in progress. But I want to share with you uh, something that has had a profound effect on my family. And it comes with the power of a letter. After I became a Christian uh, back at the University of Oregon, uh, I'll tell you this, that it was pretty tumultuous in my family, uh, me becoming a Christian was not well-received, to put it mildly. In fact, uh, we ended up not talking, kind of just, there was this huge separation. As a Christian, I was like wrestling with this, now I want to I fix this. And so I, I take it, it was the idea came from God, write your folks a letter. And so I did. And when they got that letter, they were on the phone. And that letter... It broke through the breach. I've uh, noticed this over the years. Now, I don't necessarily like to be at the store trying to find the right card. You know, you know how it is. And, you know, you're looking at all these and like $4 and it's not even that good. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I've been doing this with my wife. And I might be cheap, but this is what I've been doing. Instead of buying a card, 
I've, uh, with my wife, like on our anniversaries and Valentine's Day and her birthday, Mother's Day, I've actually uh, tried to write her a, a little letter or a short note and give it to her. Now, my wife is big into recycling, okay? I mean, we're from Oregon, all right? We invented recycling. And I noticed that, like, pretty much all of our mail and lots of cards, they get recycled, okay? I noticed that Karina does not recycle my letters. It obviously means something to her. Several years ago, when my dad was um, about ready to retire from a career in the government, kind of started at the very bottom of the ladder, climbed up pretty much to the very top. Uh, I had read a book on an airplane once that a guy, a friend of mine, given me called The Tribute. And it took several years to get to a place where I could actually write this, this tribute, but it was a letter intended to convey uh, my respect, my honor for my parents, my love for them, kind of recounting their history. And so I, I put this together. I put a lot of work into it. I uh, had it framed, matted, really nice. And at my dad's retirement party, from all these folks that he'd worked with and officials and family and just a bunch of folks, uh, I sang a song my dad liked. And I had my mom come up and join us there, up kind of at that front stage. And I read them this tribute. They're crying. All these people, they're taking this in. And my parents had told me there, that was so honoring to them. They had never received or even seen anything like it. In fact, they still tell me that people that have been to that retirement party said that was unlike anything they'd seen before. Today, if you go to my parents' home and you walk into their front entrance of their hall, um, front entrance hall, you will find that exact same frame matted letter, the tribute, right there in their hall. It means that much to them. Last year, my dad's birthday was coming up, and I'm going, you know, you're like, what are you, what are you going to get my dad? You know, what, slippers? You know, we're just like, come on, what, what do you do? And Karina has this idea. She goes, what if, what, if we, uh, what if we send your dad a journal and we all write into it? You know, and that, that sounds like a lot of work, right? You know, let's go with the slippers, you know, right? And, uh, but I thought about, you know, and, and you know, and she's right. So we kind of bought this really nice journal, and every one of us took time, and we wrote a tribute, and a letter to honor my dad, and we, and we sent it to him. And I actually I have uh, copies of both copies of it. It's right here. Kind of put his name on there. The date November fourteenth, two thousand eleven. A picture of our family. I'll just actually just read just a couple lines. November fourteenth, two thousand eleven. A dad who leaves a legacy for the future does so by the investments he has made through the years. Not everyone is blessed in life with a great a good father, but thankfully I am. The investments you have made in my life continue to influence who I am today. Over the years, I have watched you reject passivity, accept responsibility, and lead courageously. All of these traits I have incorporated in my definition of what it means to be a man. wrote about staying the course, principles that he taught me, staying the course, no matter how severe the storms. That's another guiding principle I've learned by watching you. Abandoning the ship is not an option, and there are rewards that come from long-term faithfulness. Toward the end, I wrote on this birthday, I want you to know how grateful I am for who you are and all that you have given me. When you look at your family and consider all that they have invested and gone through, certainly what you see must whisper, well done. Since you are living a legacy, 
that already is bearing much fruit. Perhaps the pages that follow could become a record of the values, experiences, and insights that are important to you. If you choose, maybe from time to time, you could write down your thoughts. Whatever you decide, just know that I am thankful for what I have already learned from you, and I am looking forward to the journey ahead. But now faith, hope, love abide the three, but the greatest of these is love. Love from your son, Grant. And my wife wrote a letter all of my kids did. On my dad's birthday, when he got this, we called him. I was just dad on the phone. And he was absolutely overwhelmed. He expressed how much this meant to him. He said it was the greatest gift that he'd ever received. He talked to each one of us, each one of the kids, and at the end of each one of those conversations, he said, I, I love you. My dad's not a big letter writer. But you know what? We got a letter. Every single one of us individually got a letter from my dad as a result of that gift, that journal. There is something about articulating one's legacy that makes it lasting and significant. And just this past year, actually just not too long ago, 2012, September, we did the same thing for my mom. And it had very similar results. And just... I got my mom's, this one here. Same idea, gave a picture. I'll I'll just give just a couple paragraphs just so you can see what would this possibly look like. So I began, a mother who gives herself to shape the lives of her children will leave a legacy that will endure for generations. Certainly this is the case for you, Mom, and I am grateful for the countless ways you've influenced me. The fabric of our lives is made up of the threads that fill the hours of each day. Although life certainly has its monumental moments, it is primarily made up of the little ongoing details. In the grand scheme of life, the simple routines of day-to-day living make a house a home. This is exactly what you did by giving your heart hour by hour to our family. And then I just wrote of all the different ways I saw my mom doing this. Uh, some of them are rather humorous. I uh, quoted some different things. Gave some talk, little excerpt from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31. And then just simply close with this. As we celebrate your birthday, I want you to know how grateful I am for who you are and all that you've given me. May your regular thoughts of your growing family be a heartwarming reminder that you have chosen the path of love, which is the greatest gift a person can give and receive. Thank you. Love from your son, Grant. So, my friends, I... I want to challenge you from the scripture. Leave a legacy of love. Never underestimate the power of a letter. And as I read these, and you're going, whoa, I'm not sure I can do that. If you've got a lot of hurt, you've got some unresolved issues, let me uh, give you these reminders. First of all, there's no perfect people, okay? Second, put yourself in your parents' shoes. Consider their journey. Third, Forgive. Bury the hatchet, release them from the dead. And four, don't focus on the negatives. Focus on the blessings. So while you can, why not leave a legacy of love? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Remember Jesus saying this? If you have love one for another. Or John sums it up in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. And love, my friends, 
is one of the greatest gifts of Christmas that comes from our relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you're an awesome and amazing God. And your love is unlike anything we've ever known or experienced. And yet, because of your love, because of Jesus, we see our heart being transformed. We are drawn to you for you are altogether lovely. And Father, would you do a work in our heart that we would live like this, live to love. And that perhaps you've put it on our heart this morning to leave a legacy of love, that this perhaps might be the most significant of Christmases as we seek to express the love of Christ to the people that we know. So Lord, have your way in us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.